Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. I woke up and looked out of the window and the street that I live on turned into a wild river. Basically, our whole neighborhood was flooded. It really looks like there was a bomb exploding. Entire houses missing, piles of wood and stone, mud on the streets. It's breathtaking. It has shown as a community and I think also as a country that we are really vulnerable and that is something we did not experience before because, oh, it's those third world countries that are affected by climate change. It's not us, we are well equipped. Welcome to the Global Goals Cast the podcast that shows how we can change the world. In this episode, extreme weather. Fires, also heat, floods, rain, and other extreme weather that has descended on us around the world. If you thought climate change was something that happened in the future, or if you thought it was something that happened elsewhere, say, only in poor countries, well, think again. Is this the moment that we accept that climate change is underway, that it is happening everywhere, to everyone? We will take a close look at that question in one country that is inundated by extreme weather, hundreds of people dead, towns and businesses destroyed. But the question is, will we just rebuild or will we change? The future awaits our answer. But first, to sustain our future, we need to share this message. This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by our listeners. That's right, listeners like you who care about the future. Please spread the word. Tell your friends about Global Goalscast. Hit the like and subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and Universal Production Music. Welcome back. I'm Edie Lush. And I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. Extreme weather has always been part of life, Edie. Exactly, Claudia. That flood that Noah navigated was a doozy. But right now we are getting a dose of extreme weather that could really be described as biblical. Climate scientists say they're stunned by what they see happening. That's right. In fact, they say that extreme weather of the sort they were forecasting for decades in the future appears to be happening now. In Canada, one western town suffered its hottest day ever recorded and then was consumed by wildfire the very next day. 
it is those fires out west have been so ferocious. The smoke shrouded us here in New York City. The haze blotted out the sun and made air quality the worst it has been here in years. And then the rains came. Rainwater flooded subway stations in China, New York, and London. In one Chinese city, passengers died because they could not escape a flooded tunnel. And then in Europe. I think I woke up that morning at five o'clock or something for the first time and it was pouring. And in the evening it was, you know, rainfall, rainfall, rainfall. And it felt in between really a bit scary because it felt like it will never end again. <laughs> I never experienced such rain before, I think. That's Anya Beerwith. She lives in Cologne and she works at a research institute that helps German cities adapt to climate change. Later in this episode, we'll hear how her work suddenly becomes far more urgent and immediate. But first, let's hear more about living through the rain and flooding from two other residents in Germany. I live in Hagen, which is in the Ruhr area. This is Anja Menzel. She is a political science professor, but on this day, she was just another lucky survivor. Rainfall, so we live uphill. And on top of the hill, there is a little creek that usually runs through a forest. And because of the heavy rainfalls, it overflowed. And what happened is I woke up and looked out of the window and the street that I live on turned into a wild river. Houses were flooded, cellars were flooded. Basically, our whole neighborhood was flooded and it came surprisingly overnight because of heavy rainfall. We were kind of lucky because we live uphill and so the water just flew through and it flew through our street for 48 hours, going up and down depending on the rainfalls. But people living in, in the valley and living close to the actual rivers flowing in those valleys have it much worse because this is where the water collects itself. In the valley is the town of Meshos, just 100 kilometers from Frankfurt. That's where Harvey Scherer went to help his brother. First of all, we saw just the usual town as we know it. Um, there was only a little bit dust and dirt on the road. But as you get to the town center, you see piles of rubbish, of debris, and then we saw the entire damage on the main street. And you can't imagine this. You have to see this life. It is just incredible in a negative way. I've seen so many things. I have seen people getting injured. I have seen fires. I was in a fire, in a live fire. But if you see this, it really looks like there was a bomb exploding. Entire houses missing, piles of wood and stone, mud on the streets. It's breathtaking. You can't judge this from pictures or from media. Impossible. And it smells incredibly. What's the smell? So if you mix stones and wood with water, this develops a yeah, strange smell, so to speak. I can't describe this. You have to live through it in a life situation. I can't explain this. Livelihoods were washed away. There's also winemaking there. But this year, 
probably there will be no winemaking at all. The town was growing because of 150 years of experience in winemaking. And uh, this is literally a tragedy because there are so many winemakers which have lost their machinery, lost their houses, lost vineyards and everything. And also me personally, I'm affected because two of my vineyards, little, very small vineyards, are totally lost because the water took it away. There's nothing left. It was literally heartbreaking seeing people losing everything. And this is unbelievable that this can happen in a country like this one, which is usually uh, prepared in a perfect way for catastrophes, for fires, for earthquakes, for whatever, but not for floodings in the summer. And tell me, how did it make you feel? Today is the first day I'm not on site. And today I have the chance to realize what does it mean? I think the feelings are getting worse every day because you realize right now what this means strategically or in the long term. Maybe there's the town is not longer existent. Can they rebuild this? How long will it take? People are talking about they just give up the town and move elsewhere, which is a big catastrophe. Professor Menzel put the disaster in the larger political context. It has shown as a community and I think also as a country that we're really vulnerable. And that is something we did not experience before because, oh, it's those third world countries that are affected by climate change. It's not us. We're well equipped. If it gets a bit hotter, turn on the AC. And so now we're really affected and all these terrible, terrible deaths we're seeing or we've experienced. They could have been avoided. And I think that is something that is really heating up the political discussion in Germany now as well. We're having an election in two months and it's going to be a really interesting one because the two candidates that are the likely candidates are of the Green Party. So they are gaining traction now because of that as well. And the Conservative Party and their candidate, by the way, is also the prime minister of the federal state that is uh, most affected by. And he has not done well. He's not really giving off the impression that he's taking the issue seriously. And so this is going to be an interesting one. Harvey Scherer is one voter who would like the threat to be taken seriously. I'm really upset when I'm hearing politicians neglecting climate change. I heard a politician talking about this when our Chancellor Merkel was visiting the catastrophe and this mayor was neglecting climate change and saying, yeah, we are known for floodings. Yes, in wintertime, when the snow is melting, everybody is aware of there's the danger of being flooded by a huge amount of water. But in summer, it's still um, a problem. And if those events are in the future, this will definitely show that there's something wrong with the climate. And I'm, me personally, I'm totally convinced that this is one of our biggest challenges to solve in the future, to get rid of this climate-consuming things. 
I asked Professor Menzel about climate change and German politics. And do you think there is enough being done by local governments to adapt to what's going to happen or that the national government is is helping local areas like the one you live in to get ready for these extreme events? I don't think so. I mean, maybe the situation that we are experiencing now is some kind of wake-up call. But up until now, my impression is that climate change has been downplayed in the effects that it has on the population, on the local population. Because in Germany, when we talked about climate change, it's always, you know, about rising sea levels and areas really rather far far away from ourselves. And now that we're being directly affected, it might change the narrative a bit. Changing the narrative may be what this moment is all about. It is no longer about the fire next time. Even experts like Anna Beerwith were shocked by what they experienced, as she told us. It was pouring. And in the evening, it was, you know, rainfall, rainfall, rainfall. And it felt in between really a bit scary because it felt like it will never end again. <laughs> I never experienced such rain before, I think. And for Anya Beerwith, to have never experienced something like this before says a lot, because helping cities to adapt to climate change is her day job. I'm head of the research unit. It's called Urban Transitions at the Wuppertal Institute for Climate, Environment and Energy. And it is a part of a research division called Energy, Climate and Mobility Politics. So we are working on a political policy, in, on, actually on all kinds of levels. We have people who work internationally for the international climate negotiations. We work together with or for the European level. We work for the national level, for federal states, for companies in Germany. We work with cities. That's actually my research unit. We work a lot for and with cities in research projects. And mostly we look through the lens of climate mitigation, adaptation, but we all also try to always find the link and also to see the synergies, for example, between climate mitigation, adaptation and social aspects. The European Union just announced a sweeping plan to curb carbon emissions, to mitigate climate change. But extreme weather also sends a message that mitigation has to be accompanied by adaptation. We have to think about how we can reconstruct cities where we have more green, where we have more areas that might be flooded without making too much damage. You know, like you could provide areas like parking spaces or garages or, you know, all these areas could be flooded and put on purpose in these cases. So that could help. And also, of course, much more green areas, much more space where the water can just drown by itself. So this is something that definitely did not happen enough in the past. We also see where you have areas, especially in growing cities, you know, that are still free and, and they are, there's nothing built. These are the spots where you can provide new housing, for example, where many cities see a huge need to provide more, especially affordable housing. 
And then they think about, you know, developing this land newly. And this is not necessarily always a land that is uh, out of the flooding areas. But it might be that it's just a flooding area that is supposed to be flooded just every 50 to 100 years. And then you have to kind of weigh the risk, you know, when will it happen? And then you decide to develop this part of the land and then the flood comes and then maybe then you think, oh, maybe it was not the best decision to develop exactly this part of the land. Mitigating climate change and adapting to it are not actually opposites. In many cases, as Anya Beerwith explains, they go together. When you have less cars, you need less trees, then you have, again, areas where you can develop more green areas. So, so there are some synergies, but the real political will to change it and the belief that if you take away someone's car, you will not get elected anymore, which might be true, but so what? You know, I mean, either you take climate goals for serious and then there are not so many options how to develop a city or you just don't and then you have to live with the risks. Let me take you back to what you were saying about adaptation and specifically some of the things that cities can do around floods. And I thought that what you were saying was was really interesting. So part of it is around having more green spaces that can soak up the water. Is that right? Yeah. And are, is there a city or a town that you can think of that's actually done this really well? that has, has recaptured some land and, and built a, a green space to capture water? We have some projects, for example, in the Ruhr area, which is a little north from my hometown, Cologne. Very industrialized area for many decades and now in a huge transition and structural change process. So there, they were like, they already rebuilt and renaturalized some of the smaller rivers there. And they also provided like these flooding possibilities on the right and the left side of the rivers. Anna Birwith explains what needs to be done, like this garage that doubles up as a flood control outlet as well. Uh, but doing it at a scale that really matter, well, on that she's not that optimistic. Pretty close to where I live. They built like a, a complete new quarter, a lot of euros and high standard living. But then there's also a huge garage in the basement, which is supposed that if real high flood comes, that this garage is, is flooded. And where is this? Sorry? It's quite close here to where I live. It's in Cologne. I don't know if it would be enough, depending on how high the river um, rises, but at least there are these kinds of projects, but they are only on one spot, you know. It's not like this is the regular standard along the rivers. And of course, there are many old places. These towns were always built along the rivers because they were important for transport. So there is a built city and you have completely rethink and rebuild it. And we are not really good at it to really rebuild and redesign a city. We are very good in building new. That's much easier. So our adaptation efforts are trailing the risks. So what about our effort to slow climate change? I asked Anya Beerwith if she thought the present disasters would shake Germany, Europe and the world into more forceful actions. I'm afraid not. 
We had like real bad flooding episode in in an eastern part of Germany around the city of Dresden 16, 17 years ago maybe. And actually the talks about, oh, this is, you know, climate change and now it's there and now we have to do something was similar to what is talked about now also in media. But as soon as this catastrophe is gone for a while, it kind of disappears out of the memories of the people who are not really living in these areas. They will be affected for many years now because there's so much infrastructure just destroyed. You know, the streets, electricity, gas, water, everything is just destroyed. So that will take years to rebuild it. But on the other hand, we see that there's a lot of solidarity, there's a lot of private funding raising and, and all these activities happening right now, but usually it goes down after a couple of weeks and there are new news coming up. As soon as this happens, also this political will that is expressed nowadays is kind of also going to other topics again. I always hope that this now is the incidence that really helps to make people act but honestly, looking back, I'm afraid it still might be not enough. Well, that is discouraging. Edi asked a German expert on climate policy for his assessment. So my name is David Reifisch in English. In German, would say Rüfisch, but that's a bit trickier, I guess. And I'm the team lead for international climate policy at German Watch. What is German Watch? German Watch is a German NGO established in 91, originally focused solely on climate issues. By now, we've extended also to other issues like agriculture, nutrition, trade, corporate responsibility. But the core is still around climate issues. What was extraordinary is that the rain, the flooding coincided almost exactly with EU proposals for curbing fossil fuel use and carbon emissions. Do you think this frightening episode shook people's cage enough to get them enacted? Well, first of all, to the proposal, since you mentioned it, it is certainly the most important piece of climate legislation that we've seen. Um, it is an important step forward. It is not yet enough, but it's achievable. And within the German society for which I can speak, the awareness for climate issues had already grown over the past two years. So far within Germany, the focus had predominantly been on reducing emissions. And now through these extreme weather events, we see that there's a conversation also coming up about the fact that within Germany, we also need to adapt to the impacts of climate change and that there are losses and damages that occur due to climate change that we have to cope with. Let me take you back a little to, you mentioned that the proposals are not enough. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, they're a good step, certainly. And the 55% are a good step. But if we look in terms of what's needed to stay within 1.5 degrees, to be on a 1.5, as we say, compatible pathway, the 55% are not sufficient yet. 
And above that, there are a couple of shortcomings that we see in that proposal. First and foremost, uh, it relies to a certain degree on the role of carbon sinks. We do not know whether they will deliver as proposed, and there's no guarantee mechanism to make up for a potential shortfall through the carbon sinks. And second, just a couple of days ago, for the case of Germany, uh, there was a study coming out stating clearly again that uh, electricity demand will actually grow because we will need electricity for battery-based electric vehicles, for heat pumps, etc. And actually, we believe that in the proposal by the EU, the renewable energy in the energy mix, the target is still too low. We need more in terms of renewable energy. So, Edie, we've been talking about climate change from the beginning. There's always been extreme weather. But what is different now is the scale of what's happening. It's record-breaking heat, record-breaking rain. People are feeling it in New York and they're feeling it in Europe and people are feeling it every day. That is what climate scientists have forecasted. But it's much sooner and in a much bigger scale. And Edie, remember our first episodes were actually about Robert and Barney Swan going to the Antarctic in order to raise the attention and the awareness of people of what was happening. And one thing that is going on right now is that the Arctic is warming faster. That's disrupted a wind pattern called the jet stream. So warm air is riding further north, causing more rain in places like Northern Europe. And cold air is plunging further south, causing those blizzards in Texas last winter. Again, those are things that were seen in other places, but now because it's hitting New York, where you're like getting all these fires and the smoke and so on, and, and all of a sudden Europe has, you know, like these floods happening in home, it's really becoming more real. And Claudia, it's only going to get worse if we don't reverse greenhouse gas emissions. And that is the EU planned. And the summit in Scotland, COP26, is aiming to do just that. But it's also clear that we have to brace now for those events that we thought were sometime in the future. And that means we have to spend money that we hadn't yet prepared for. So California, my home state, the major power company there has said that it would spend $20 billion to bury electric cables so that they won't spark more wildfires. That is a lot of money, but it's only one very small expense in a global need for infrastructure spending to adapt to climate change. We've spoken before on Global Goalscast about the lessons of climate and the lessons of COVID-19, how similar some are and how they really need to be learned together, as David Reifish told us. Over the past years, the awareness, especially in Germany, for climate change has grown substantially. And what resembles the corona crisis and, and the climate crisis is the resistance to really follow the science and the scientists. And in Germany, in the beginning, that was different from the climate crisis. People listened to the scientists, but as there starts to be a certain fatigue to live with restrictions, etc., there's a tendency to forget again 
what the scientists have said. And we are at a similar point where scientists are repeating the same things and that that has happened in terms of climate change and still other issues are prioritized, most notably the impact on the economy over what scientists are saying in terms of the impact that, that will happen and, and that are happening. And, and with the corona crisis, it's to a certain degree easier because it's directly tangible. The climate crisis, as we just spoke, for Germany has become more and more tangible just over the couple of past years because we have had three very dry summers and now we have these extreme weather events this summer. So that makes it more tangible. The question is how long it will last within people's mind that it will impact them as well. Edie, how scary. How scary and how clear was that message from David. Like at the end of the day, there is an incredible resemblance between the corona crisis and the climate crisis. And we cannot forget and just go back to the same place of forgetting the long-term goals that we have as a planet because of the short-term pains that we have to do and the economic pains that we have, short-term economic protections overweighing the long-term looming disasters that we have and confronting. It is a challenge of career politicians that obviously are more concerned with votes than making positive long changes that might be right but might lose them votes and popularity. I mean, all of these incredible lessons that we have learned again and again of the fatigue, COVID and climate fatigue, the it won't happen to us myth of developed countries that we have heard through this episode and so in more countries at the beginning of COVID. So how long do we have to go through until we see big change? And again, I think that one of the biggest things that we're going to be able to see in terms of like change happening will be at COP26 at the end of the year. I was just scrolling through one of our previous episodes, the episodes that we did interviewing John Sturman, the MIT professor. And the thing that he says right at the start is so chilling. He says, research shows that showing people research doesn't work. You can tell people the science, you can show them the science, it does not change people's behavior their thinking or their attitudes. The way that learning happens for most people almost all the time is experience. I was fascinated to hear our friends from Germany talking about the upcoming election. Is this the moment that people will vote for the Green Party? I'm absolutely fascinated to find out. And as David Navarro, 80, one of our probably like the stellar guest and contributor and leader that we have in our 2020 Global Goalscast episodes, has said always... Even 2021. 2021, he has said, we just have to make the plan, like the sustainable development goals happen because there is no plan B, but there is no planet B either. So guys, Global Goal Scout listeners, we hope that this is inspiring, that this is something that you can take on whatever you do, wherever industry you are, be woke, be woke about your actions, about like how you actually choose to consume and, and make choices, even for brands, use brands brand democracy to demonstrate for companies that you want to buy from, for politicians that you want to accept, for things that you should be spoken about and the actions that you want to take. This is a good time for Edie and I to say, 
goodbye. This is our last episode in this season. We really hope that in the most challenging of times where climate change and COVID have come and demonstrated how important it is to be global citizens and to be aware and to take the right decisions and to vote with our heart and to buy with our beliefs. This is the time. And with that, I think that this is a good time to close and hope that all of you will continue listening, continue taking actions, the right things to do. And let's actually make the one plan that we have the sustainable development goals happen. You said it. Okay, so that is the end of another season of Global Goals Cast. And we could not have done it without all our inspiring guests. In particular, a really huge thanks to today's guests, some of whom were kind enough to speak to us, even as they worked to rebuild after the floods in Germany. Our thoughts are really with all of those impacted by the effects of climate change around the world. And thanks to the listeners, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving us five stars. Please give us more if you haven't. And follow us at Global Goals Cast. We will see you in September. Very much looking forward. Until then, stay safe. Adios. Ciao. Hasta la vista. See you soon. Have a great summer, guys. Global Goals Cast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Howard. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music, one of the world's leading production music companies, creating and licensing music for film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. And thank you to CBS News Digital. ¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mummies es un negocio y lo empezamos por supuesto para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. ¿Y cómo suena con Shopify? Llegó otra venta. Shopify es la plataforma de comercio que está revolucionando millones de negocios en todo el mundo. Ya seas un emprendedor desde tu casa o desde donde sea, Shopify es la única herramienta que necesitas para iniciar, administrar y hacer crecer tu negocio sin dificultades. Con Shopify puedo gestionar pedidos, envíos y pagos desde cualquier lugar, brindándote toda la información y estadísticas de tus ventas al detalle. Regístrate para un periodo de prueba con tan solo un dólar al mes en shopify.com barra sonoro. Todo en minus Ve a Shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>